Um, I, know I, I know I say this a lot, but I absolutely love our church. And uh, whether or not uh, you want me to, whether, whether or not you want me to, I love you too. And uh, I love that, that you're a part of the church, even if you're new today and you, you think it's kind of a crazy cult going on, uh, you're welcome in this place. And, and uh, you need to know this is a great community to explore faith, to ask questions of faith, to sometimes doubt faith, and uh, to move toward God. And we want you to know above all else that you have a Father in heaven who loves you and who is pursuing you out of that great love. And he wants you to experience the best kind of life you've ever experienced. And uh, I love singing songs like that last one together, you know, that we've seen God move in in mighty ways, but he's not done, like he'll do it again. And uh, that's important to remember, that God continues to work in us and through us. Now, a couple things that I love about our church that I saw going on this week. Uh, I drove up yesterday to Prescott, and we dropped off some kids, some fourth and fifth graders who are going to spend the week up in Prescott uh, learning about God, learning some great stories, and being reminded that God loves them. I love that we have camps like that. Parents, thank you for trusting us with your kids. We have a great ministry that happens every week, uh, but we also have a great ministry that happens sometimes off campus, and I know it's tough to send your kids, but for some of you, it's easy, because like... It's your, if it's your third kid like it is for us, um, we forgot that they left, and, and uh, it's awesome. But uh, they're going to have a great time. Uh, this, this past week, we had students on, students on summer break who actually spent time away from video games serving at Feed My Starving Children. They went down, and they packed food, and uh, I love that. I love that we're creating opportunities for our kids to serve like that. Uh, there was a group of women here on Wednesday, and they, uh, they were planning for the fall, women's uh, Bible studies and ministries, and that's going to be awesome. I, I love seeing the plans come together. We're going to have one of the best falls we've ever had. We're going to have a blast around here uh, with all the renovations and everything, but it's going to be awesome. So the women, the kids, the students, they were all busy. And guys, where are you at? Where are you at? Man camp's coming up, right? Are you ready for man camp? All right. We're going to work on you. I saw a couple of you guys golfing. That was awesome. Anyway, I got nothing this morning. Okay, this series that we've been in, this series we've been in, Campfire Stories. And we're looking at Old Testament stories. And remember, the Old Testament, so if you're new to the Bible, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. And the Old Testament is basically God's first covenant with a group of people called the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, the Israelites. And God's desire was to bless them in the Old Covenant so that they would in turn bring His love and His grace to the entire world. That was God's, that was God's hope. That's what He wanted to see happen in this world. Now, if you've read much of the story, you know that it didn't quite work out that way. And so God, the fulfillment of his desire was to send Jesus. And that's who we follow is, is, is Jesus. And the new covenant begins with Jesus and moves forward. Are you with me? But we, we can find so much in the Old Testament that gives us inspiration, encouragement, and it reminds us of this. If you miss everything else this morning, don't miss this, that God is not absent from your life and my life. Even though it might seem like He is, God is never absent from your life or my life. And God never gives up on us. Now that's good news, that God never gives up on us. Because some of us 
he should give up on, right? It feels like I've messed up enough, I've run enough, I, you know, I've, I've done so much in my life that, that God should give up on me. But you should know that God never gives up on you. Like, He loves you that much. And there's nothing that you could do that would decrease the amount of God, of love that God has for you. And that is good news. It's encouragement for us. And it should inspire us to want to know more about this God. So we're learning about these stories. Uh, the first week, uh, we learned about Gideon. You remember Gideon? Gideon was hiding. He was hiding because he was fearful for his life. And God shows up to Gideon, and he calls him a mighty warrior, the guy who's hiding, who's fearful, who doesn't want anything to do with anybody else. Like God calls him a mighty warrior. And he uses the one who's hiding and fearful to do an amazing work among his people. It's awesome. And then the second week we talked about Ruth. Ruth is an amazing story because Ruth was an outsider. She had no place in God's family. Yet God brought her in, adopted her into his family, and uses her to continue the line that leads to Jesus. Now, let me say that one more time. Because some of you feel like outsiders when it comes to God. You feel like you have no place in the family. But God actually uses outsiders to do his most important work in this world. Now, that's awesome, isn't it? If you've never read the story of Ruth, I'd encourage you in the Old Testament, it's four chapters, take you 15 minutes. It's such a powerful reminder that God uses us even when we feel like we're not a part of what he's doing. And then last week, we talked about Samson. I asked you, what do you know about Samson? And uh, in both services, there are three answers. What do you know about Samson? He had awesome hair. That was the first thing that was said. Like these long, flowing locks of hair. He was strong, like so he was, he was really strong. And then the third thing everybody said was, Delilah. Anyone? Old radio? Okay, anyway, Delilah. Um, and and this, this is what we knew about Samson, and that is kind of the whole of the story. But there is so much more to the story of Samson. And here's the big picture, is that God had called Samson to do something, and Samson set aside God's call because of his anger and his lust for women. And last week was, was Father's Day, so I kind of picked on us as fathers, and I said, that we do that all the time. We set aside our calling as fathers, our responsibility as fathers, and we instead indulge our anger and our lust for other things. Not, not just women, but for other things, right? Don't we do that sometimes, guys? I know you don't want to raise your hand. That's fine. You don't need to raise your hand. But don't we do that sometimes? We, we take the calling that God has given us. And the truth is, God has, has called us to be the fathers of our children and the grandfathers of our grandchildren, and, and we're the only ones who can do what he's called us to do in their lives. And so we need to take hold of that responsibility and run after it with great joy. We'll never be perfect. I'll never be perfect. You'll never be perfect. I know that's not encouraging, but you'll never be perfect. I'll never be perfect. But God doesn't want us to be perfect. He wants us to trust him and to lean into his grace over and over again. So this week, I'm going to tell you a shorter story. I thought there would be an amen. Like, we're going to shorten, pick a story that's a little obscure. And it's found in, in 2 Kings. So it's this obscure story that if you've read the Bible, it's one of those that you, you, you maybe even skipped past or you skimmed. And I'm, I want to tell you this story because there's so much in it, especially for those of us who live in areas like this, in Fountain Hills and Scottsdale and Phoenix, and, and this, this whole area, I think it's something that, that uh, gives us an idea of how we oftentimes miss 
the work of God uh, that he wants to bring into our lives. Now, to set up the context and what's going on in the world historically and what's going on with the Israelites, uh, I've been using Eugene Peterson who gives some introductions to these different books. And so just some context. Um, Eugene Peterson says this, God's rule in, in this history, God's rule is not imposed in the sense that he forces each man and woman into absolute conformity to justice and truth and righteousness. Now, this is just a side note and a side sermon. Sometimes we think God's kingdom should come about by forcing people to conform to his truth and his righteousness and his justice. That can be painful if you think about it. We, we want a, a God at times who does these things that forces people to act in certain ways. But here's the truth. God never forces us. He never forces us to conform to his truth, ever. He gives us choices. He, he gives us open doors, and we have the opportunity to, to respond. So Eugene continues, God's rule is worked into this world from within, not from without, not from outside of our lives, not this conformity on the exterior, but God's rule is worked from within. Much of the time, what God's doing in your life and my life is, is somewhat invisible. We, we sometimes don't even notice what God is doing, but God's rule is always there, and it's resolute. So, so God, in this, this part of history, is opening doors, just like he still is today, and inviting us, into his truth and into his justice and into his righteousness. But he never, he never forces us to conform to that. He never forces us into a certain mold. So this is, where we, this is the context of where we find this story. One day, the wife of a man from the group of prophets called out to Elisha. Elisha was one of the famous prophets, like one of the famous preachers of, of this day and age. And there was a whole group of preachers, and, and one of them died, and his wife goes to Elisha, kind of the head, the big one, um, the, the one who, who kind of stands above all else, and, and she, she cries out to him, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you well know what a good man he was, devoted to God. Now, I wonder if she would have said the same thing if he was still living. That's a side story. Anyway. So she's, she's kind of setting him up, buttering him up a little bit. You know, my, my husband, who was a good man, he was devoted to God, always did the right thing. He's, he's dead. And now the man to whom he was in debt is on his way to collect by taking my two sons as slaves. Now, uh, just some context to help us here. In the ancient world, if you were a woman with no men around you, you were in trouble. There was no way for you to be sustained or to carry on if you didn't have men around you. And so this woman is fearful because if her two sons are taken to pay off a debt or to work off a debt, which is probably the likely case as they were going to go work off uh, a debt, is that she would be all alone. No way to earn money, no way to earn food, no way to make it on her own. Now, again, this is the context of, of the Old Testament world. Women just didn't have any standing. What I love about the Bible is God is always like raising up those who have been set aside. Jesus, one of his primary 
uh, movements in this world was to lift up the women who had been set aside. I love it. His, his greatest story, uh, him being raised from the dead, who did he entrust that to? <laughs> women. He entrusted his story to women, the women who had come to the grave. Anyway, so this woman, all alone, uh, the context is that uh, if they take her sons, she's, she's all by herself. And the only place she knows to go for help is to God. Um, I believe, and I hear this from time to time when I talk to people in our church, that uh, many people, many of us, feel ashamed when we turn back to God because there's no other choice. We feel ashamed that we had to hit rock bottom to get to a place to turn back to God. I was just talking to a family uh, in the last couple weeks, and uh, the husband uh, just had gone through a, a phase in his life where he was just running from God and just living a, kind of a crazy life. And uh, he was ashamed that it was a diagnosis that brought him back to God. And here, here's something that some of us need to know today. And maybe this is it for you. Maybe this, this one thing is, is your uh, message for today, that God never despises us for turning back to him when we're in need. God never despises you turning back to him because you've hit rock bottom. And some of you need to embrace that today because you're ashamed. Some of, some of us won't go back to God because we're so ashamed. There's this story in the New Testament. Jesus wants to tell us about God, his father, and he says, there are these two sons. This man had these two sons, and one of them was a prodigal, and he asked uh, his father for all of his inheritance before he was dead, which is offensive. And he takes his inheritance, he blows it on parties and wildness and women and all of this stuff, and he runs out of money, and he has nowhere to go, and he's at the, the, like the worst of the worst job. He's feeding pigs which in that day and age was just kind of the bottom. There's nothing else. And the son hits rock bottom, and it says when he came to his senses, like when he hit rock bottom and he had nowhere else to go, where does he go? Back to the father. He goes home, right? And so he turns back, and Jesus wants us to understand God in this story. When this kid hits rock bottom and goes back to his father, he finds the father standing on the porch. Do you remember this? Standing on the porch with his arms crossed, shaking his head. And he was like, what a pitiful boy you are. I can't believe you, you came back. You, you better get on your hands and knees and beg me to take you in. You remember that story? Oh, it's not in there. That's not how it goes. The father, instead, is watching and waiting for his son after however long it was. And when he sees his son crawling down the driveway... Begging his father for his son, his, his dad is the first one who picks him up and embraces him and puts his arms around him and says, My son, you are home. He puts a ring on his finger, which gives him status. He puts shoes on his feet and he puts a coat over him. And then he kills a fattened calf to throw a party for a son who just blew half his money. And Jesus says, This is the kind of father you have. So don't ever think that God despises you when you turn back to him. It doesn't matter how far you've gone, what kind of bottom you've hit. It doesn't matter what you've been drinking or smoking or shooting up. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter in your life what has caused you to turn back to God. 
God embraces you every time and any time you'll turn back to Him. Isn't that awesome? Like it's good news. So she turns to God. Uh, It's the only place she knows to go. And Elisha says to her, I I wonder how I can be of help. Tell me, what do you have in your house? So she says, what... He says to her, what, what do you have in your house? Like you're worried that you don't have enough, you can't pay off this guy, and so what is it you have in your ha- house? Let me see if I can help you figure this out. And you know what she says? What's her answer? Nothing. I have nothing in my house. Nothing? Like, you, you, don't, have, you don't have anything in your house? Can you, can you see... Elisha looking at her, like, real, like, questioning, like, putting his, like, stroking his beard. Like, nothing, you have nothing in your house. Now, just a little side note. It's usually the nothing that we think we have that God wants to do the most miraculous things with that we could never imagine. And we're about to see that in this story. Like, I'm, that's, foreshadowing it's usually the nothing and here's the biggest challenge for those of us who live in an area like this is we daily compare what we have with what others have and we're reminded all the time about it and when we compare our whatever it is with their whatever it is we always lose And what we've been given, what we've been blessed with, looks like nothing. Let's say that together. Nothing. Look at your neighbor and tell them you have more than nothing. Go ahead and tell them you have more than nothing. You have more than nothing. Now, if you have Instagram or if you have Facebook, you don't believe me right now. Because those tools... And they bring, they bring some good in this world. I'm not, I'm not downing Instagram and Facebook and all of that. Those tools oftentimes are used to make us believe that everyone else has something better than we have. And let me tell you, before they actually posted the picture, it was a whole lot of mess going on. They probably took it ten times anyway to get the best angle and the best picture so that you would see the best of what they have. And you compare it with the worst of what you have. We, we do this all the time we compare and comparison when we compare comparison almost always leads us to believe what we have isn't enough now let me let me meddle a little in your life if you're married comparison oftentimes sneaks in to your marriage and you see what you think is a a perfect marriage somewhere else and you see the happy, good pictures of what's going on with your neighbors or your friends or your boss or your classmates. I mean, you, you see something over here, and you begin to compare what God's given you with what they have. And you begin to think that what I have just isn't good enough. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but that happens all the time. And maybe I'm just talking about me, but every now and then, it's so easy to let my mind drift and see something else that's going on over there, or what I think's going on over there, and think to myself, man, I wish I had that. Anybody else with me? 
please tell me somebody else can identify with this feeling. I wish I had, I wish I had that. If only I had that. We do it with our parenting. If only my kids acted like that. If only I could take my kids on those kind of trips and could let them experience that. Our kids are, are bombarded with comparison every single day. I was, I was just talking to a friend about uh, how kids in today's world are dealing with anxiety and depression at an all-time high level. You guys know? And I think part of the reason is because kids never just find contentment because they're always bombarded with images of more. And our kids are at school all day and they see all these things happening and they get home and they don't just get to be home because when they get home, they see more on their screens. And there's good in screens. I'm not saying screens are just evil, but they just see all the time what they don't have. And so they become anxious. Like, I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I don't have enough. Comparison almost always does that to us. I mean, that's a sermon right there, is it not? And this woman, when he asked her, what do you have? And she says, nothing. I wonder if it's because she saw what everyone else has. What do you have? Nothing. And then I think he probably, my guess is Elisha just let it sit. Like, nothing? Then I don't know if I can help you. And then she says, well, well, I do have a little bit of oil. I think one of the translations says, I have a flask of oil. So let's imagine, I don't know how big your flask is, but let's, um, <laughs> let's imagine the, the flask. So she says, I have a little bit of oil. Like, I do have a little bit of oil here. Oh, you do have something. A little bit of oil. When we focus on what we don't have, Again, when we focus on what we don't, I'm going to keep coming back to this. When we focus on what we don't have, it can make what we do have seem so insignificant and not useful. Um, my wife, Robin. I'm married, so for those of you who are new, I'm married to this woman named Robin. She's awesome. And uh, there's, there's a lot of things I love about Robin. She's beautiful, number one. Um, I love uh, that she can cook like no one else. She's better than you at cooking. See that, see that comparison? And some of you are going to go home and you're going to say, oh, I wish Robin, you know, I win that one. Anyway, she can cook. I love, my wife is such a good mom. She's so nurturing to our kids. I love it. I love how nurturing she is. Um, but one of the things I, I most love about Robin is I love that that girl can sing. And in the South, we said sang. She, she can sing. And um, what's, what's interesting about Robin singing, and she helps lead worship uh, oftentimes, and what's interesting about her singing is, is for years, Robin would not sing if anyone was around. Isn't that interesting? I mean, you've heard her sing. She sang this morning. Um, what, she, she wouldn't sing if anybody was around. And I would, always, I would always tell her, you should sing. Like, we should record something. Like, you're good, so good. And uh, then I, I found out that when she grew up, she grew up in a musician's family. And her dad and her mom spent a lot of time in a recording studio. 
And if you've ever been to a recording studio, what you'll find is that the music has to be perfect. And if it's not perfect, they do it again. And they keep doing it again until it's perfect. And if you've ever been with a producer in a recording studio, you know that a producer will always like talk about what's not perfect. And I realized Robin isn't singing because she's focused on what's not perfect about her voice rather than what is good about her voice. And anytime you're focused on what you don't have, perfection, it makes what you do have seem so insignificant and unuseful. Now that is true across the board. In our businesses, in our vocation, in our parenting, in the gifts that you've given, been given by God, with our money, with our stuff, we become so focused on what we don't have that it makes what we have seem like it's not even a blessing from God. This woman, she's like, okay, I, I guess I have a little bit of oil, but what can you do with a little bit of oil? And so he says, here's what you could do with a little bit of oil. What I want you to do is I want you to get up and go up and down your street and borrow empty jugs and jars from all your neighbors. And not just a few, I want you to get everything you can find. And then I want you to come home and I want you to lock the door behind you, which is an interesting little phrase. It's an interesting little detail. And I think the reason he told her to lock the door behind him, behind her when she, when she came home was to cut out the noise and the distraction and the ways that she would probably compare what she had with what others. So, so close the door. If somebody asks you uh, what the message was today, just tell them, close the door. That's a good message, isn't it? Just close the door. Like I need to shut out the distractions and the comparisons and all of that. And uh, so it says, I want you and your sons to be in the house alone, and I want you to begin to pour oil into each and every container. And when each is full, set it aside and bring the next one. Now, can you imagine the faith that it took to take a little flask of oil and to begin to pour it out? Can you imagine the faith that it took? Now, if she was anything like me, it would have been just a little drip. And I would have looked down in that pot to see what happened to that little drip. Is it scattering? Am I going to lose this? And if I pour it in here and then I have to pour it back in my flask, I know I'm going to have some that you know, splatters and I'm going to lose some of what I have. And I imagine that she wanted to hold tightly to the little bit that she has. Have you ever wanted to hold tightly just to the little bit and you didn't want to use what God had given you? You just were holding on to it because you didn't want to let go of what God had given you. And she began to pour. And what's interesting is she poured and she filled a pot and then she set it aside and they brought another one and she began to pour that one, filled it, another one, filled it, another one, filled it, another one, filled it. Okay, Matt, I get it. Another one, filled it, another one, filled it, another one, and filled it. All the pots that they could find were filled with oil from a little bitty flask. And she filled the last one and she looked at her son and said, bring me another. Like it's not empty yet. And they said, we, we ain't got no more pots. Like there's nothing else here to fill. This next line, I like this. Then and only then did the oil stop flowing. The little bit that God had given her was more than enough 
than she was ever going to need. And God used what she thought was a little bit to fill up beyond measure what she needed. And so she goes back to the prophet, Elisha, and she, she told him the whole story, what they did. And then he said, I want you to go sell the oil and make good on your debts. And here's the, the, the blessing of God in this. And then I want you and your sons to live on what's left. God didn't just provide what she needed to pay back her debts, but God provided beyond the debts all that she would need to live for the rest of her life. Now, how good is God to take the little bit that we think we have and make it more than we ever thought we needed? And that's the message this morning. That's the story. Is that the little bit that you think you have is more than enough for what you need. The little bit that you think you've been given by God in your marriage, in your parenting, in your finances, in your business, the little bit that you have is more than enough than you'll ever need if you'll trust who with it? God. I mean, it, it, it took her turning back to God to begin to understand that the little she had was more than enough. In the New Testament, so if you want to see it in the New Testament, Paul had this weakness in his life. He called it a thorn in his flesh. If you've ever read his letters, you, you, you've probably heard this, this phrase, thorn in my flesh. And he said, I asked God to remove it. And each time the Lord said to me, my grace is enough. My grace is enough. It's sufficient. My strength comes into its own in your weakness, in your little bit. And what you don't think is enough is more than enough. Listen, I want you to hear this. It doesn't matter if you've been given a little or a lot. In God's economy, it's enough. His grace is enough. Aren't you thankful for that grace? I mean, what a great story. And so often we read through these stories and we just skip over them, but they're so encouraging that they should inspire us to contentment and joy, even in the midst of great difficulty. They should encourage us that God has not left us alone and His grace is more than enough. Ah, that's some good stuff. Let's, let's sing one last song together. Would you stand with me? And we're going to sing this song called Good Grace because I think we should finish today being reminded of God's good grace. And if you don't know it, you should know that God's grace is sufficient for you wherever you are. God, um, in these moments, uh, as we kind of wrap up our time together and sing this song, I, I pray that we would lean into your grace and that your grace would prove to be more than enough than we need. In the marriages in this place that are hanging on by a thread, I pray that comparison would be moved aside, set aside, that the door would be closed and that that the little bit that's there, I, I pray that that would become more. For those in business who feel like it's the end, I pray, God, that you would make it a new beginning. Uh, for those who, who feel as though they've just run too far, God, I pray your grace would be sufficient for them. God, thanks for your goodness and your love. In Jesus' name.